to quote Mystique, it's so, so, so scandalous. <laughs> People should quote Mystique more <laughs> in life. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to another series of my podcast, Rain. If you're new here, first of all, where have you been, babe? But second and most importantly, I'm so glad you are here now. This podcast is all about being the kings and queens of our own lives. And it's full of empowering stories from brilliant guests, as well as some incredible words to live by. And of course, a lot of lols too. We all look at our favorite celebrities and think they've got it all. And it's so easy to forget no matter who you are and what you do, ultimately we are all the same. In each episode, I'll be chatting to some of our favourite stars about the most human of experiences, how they've dealt with tough times and overcome them to reign over their lives. I've always found these conversations so inspiring, whether that's me making changes in my life, my relationships, or just getting my gym gear on. So I'm really hoping you will too. Welcome to Rain. Today's special episode, we are joined by real life royalty. Well, almost. It's the OG queen from The Crown. It's Claire Foy. Claire became one of our favourite actresses with her epic performances, Elizabeth II, in the hit Netflix show, going on to win two Emmys, two SAG Awards, and a Golden Globe before taking on the big screen. Now Claire returns with the BBC drama A Very British Scandal, which follows the 1950s divorce of the Duke and Margaret, Duchess of Argyle, which became one of the most brutal 20th century legal cases. Margaret was vilified for her sexuality, with images of her performing a sex act released during the case, becoming one of the first examples of modern-day slut-shaming. Claire is also starring in the new movie The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, which follows the life and mental health of Victorian cat artist Louis, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. What may seem like a cute biopic is anything but, and trust me, you need to see this because it's a beautiful and at times dark look at our mental health. In this episode, Claire opens up about her own mental health, how therapy helped her following a breakdown in her 20s, and how becoming ill as a teenager has shaped her. I love so much what Claire has to say about the power of opening up to others around you. So I really hope this inspires you to talk honestly with those who mean the most to you. Well, hello, Claire. How are you? (laughs) Honest answer. (laughs) Let's go honest, A. Very tired and slightly under the weather. How are you? I'm feeling slightly under weather too, but we are going to shake off that weather today and we're going to have a cracking good time. Don't you worry. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you today because you're back. You are back on our screens. Yes. It's like the greatest comeback since like Christina Aguilera. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I feel like I've made a massive error by... I don't know. I don't feel like I've gone anywhere, but apparently I have. Yeah. Well, it's been three years since you've been. Yeah, on but our there's screens. been a pandemic. <laughs> and I have been working during that time. I haven't just been Salma Jackson in doing things. Okay. I've been very busy. Um, it's just that nothing's come out on telly. Now you've got two projects back to back coming out to keep you busy yeah. on that promo tour. And I think we've got to kick things off with a very British scandal and 
Oh my <laughs> God. I saw it for the first time the other day and it is exceptional television. You are incredible in it. For anyone who's listening to it hasn't already seen it or is going to see it, it is the about the eye-opening divorce proceedings between Duke of Argyll and Margaret, the Duchess of Argyll, in the 1950s. And it's shocking AF. There's so many twists, there's so many turns. To quote Mystique, it's so, so, so scandalous. <laughs> People should quote Mystique more <laughs> in life. It is so, so, so scandalous. <laughs> and it is. When you got the script and you were exploring the character, what really shook you about what you were reading and hearing about this crazy divorce saga? I think... Um, Really, a lot of the stuff couldn't be put in the show, actually, because it's about real people. There's this whole legal framework to when you're doing something like that. And so much about her life and their life together was so extreme um, and out of the ordinary that actually a lot of it couldn't end up being in the show. Um, So that was the thing, I think. The bare bones of it in itself, the fact that um, he was so flake like obviously um an abusive partner and um married up basically he married women for money um and i that's not slander that i think anybody who knew him would say that about him about the duke of argyle um but the fact that even though there were such um obvious um moments of mistreatment and abuse he was still treated in the eyes of the law as the innocent party because his wife was deemed to be sort of a nymphomaniac crazed sexual beast basically mm. um it, there was so much that was surprising about it we we actually filmed in the um in Verera castle which the real castle is in the story and that's the seat of the argyle um dukedom and that's where we actually filmed so i actually met the current duke of argyle and he told me some extraordinary things it was like being in a, a drama, like being, I wasn't a drama, but it was like being in a drama because I, things that people were telling me, I could genuinely could not believe it happened. And I think that Margaret, I was, when I was watching it, she is such a complex character. Like she is juicy. Mm-hmm. She is layered like a very complex onion that like she, mm. su- she suffers so much. Um, she's, also very sexual and she's unashamed in her joy from sex which is so incredible to see a character in a period drama and also a woman of that time owning her sexuality in that way mm. was that quite amazing to play play that kind of character who was so ashamed of herself in a way yeah i think it's really it is really complex i think she i found a very difficult um person to understand and I still don't think I do really because she was all sorts of things from that you could see from the outside she had a um a stammer which um having spoken to the stammerers association a lot of people believe means someone is shy or introverted I think because you can't express yourself there's a barrier between you and and the world basically because you aren't able to articulate your emotions and feelings as they're happening especially at heightened moments but what I learned about that was that the lady that I spoke to was so amazing. She said that actually some of the most extroverted people that she knows are people with a stammer or a a stutter or or some form of um, what you would call a speech impediment Um, because they, it's all 
wants to come out and be expressed. And so it has to come out in a different way. And I think that Margaret loved romance. I think she really loved sex as well. But I think for her, there was a real link between being adored and being admired and loved and what her father felt for her that she looked for in men. And the way that she got that was by being very open sexually. I think also at that period of time, we always think that everybody behaved. I mean, we think that now, don't we? And Mm -hmm. the things that people get up to, Josh, I mean, just, I'm I'm all for it. Um, But I just think that we're, we're very naive about other people's sexuality. Um, And also we like to underestimate people in that way, I think. And Mm. I think at that period of time, they were, there was all sorts, you know, there were the parties that are happening in London where people go disguised and have many sexual partners. There were, you know, all sorts. And, And I think in that, at that level, it was very common, you know, in the aristocracy or at that level of, um, privilege and wealth. It was very common for people to have very open mistresses and, you know, what would be considered sexual deviance and things like that. It was everywhere. And, you know, that's why there was so much to do with the Profumo scandal and all those sorts of things. It was all going on. It's just nobody really knew about it. And then I suppose what happened with Margaret and the Duke of Argyle, it, that opened the door to that world and what was going on and the honesty and I think she just basically felt like, fundamentally, this is what I felt. I think that she she was a very sexual person. I think that you can't you you can't be in the world and not be basically judged and shamed. If that's the case, you have to deal with that because that's what how how our society works. Unfortunately, that mm. people put themselves in a position of judgment. But my feeling was that she knew she wasn't in the wrong. That she hadn't done anything wrong. Her husband was also having affairs. This is what everybody was doing. People can't be sanctimonious because they're all up to it. She's been at parties where everybody is doing it and therefore she was right. But yet she was still told she was wrong, basically. So she fought to the mm. end, the bitter end. And I mean, like I read some quotes about the case and how the judge mm. who grew up in divorce pronounced that the Duchess was a completely promiscuous woman. And the things that were said about her were so extreme. It was like the first major example of slut shaming basically in Mm. our society and Mm. it really speaks to how we as a society put women into restricted boxes and how we like to label women when you were exploring this character obviously in a very 1950s different world to ours when you look at Mm. do you think oh my god we really haven't even come that far at all in the way that we still label women in our society. Yeah, no, not at all. I think that it's it's interesting to call it like the first case of slut shaming because I just, I mean, they burnt witches. <laughs> so I, we, they burnt women because they thought they were witches. So I sort of feel, and sexuality and, and sex was such a huge part of that. There's this sort of such stupid, bizarre, thin line in human beings, which is, what we think is depraved and awful, we also find deeply exciting and titillating. <laughs> and we love it and we want to hear more about it. And like, oh my goodness, they didn't. What did they get up to? Stop it. No, it's disgusting, but tell me more. Like there's that, that that's basically so innate in us. Um, but yeah, I think that I, there was a certain point when it wasn't so much, 
it was with the judicial system because I think that there is a really misogynistic, unfortunately, and um, deeply, deeply, deep rooted um, uh, patriarchal thing going on there where, you know, just for, I mean, there's so much I could go into, but just um, with the way that sexual abuse cases are dealt with and rape cases and domestic violence are dealt with in the court, um, that the woman has to prove that it's happened as opposed to someone having to prove their innocence, which just seems insane to me. Um, but my main thing was that there were certain things that happened when we were shooting it where people were talking to me about the character in a position of judgment or they were saying articulating her behavior with um an adjective that was you know all oh, the dirty duchess or oh she's so naughty or things and i was just a bit like uh okay uh, whose opinion is that and and i and i i knew that basically when this would come out i would be not disappointed but i would be wary of how she would be painted and how the story would be painted whether the focus would be on the fact that it was famously about her performing a sex act on a man and that was the thing that kind of basically lost her the divorce um and I found that quite dispiriting um and I was always challenging basically people to reframe the way that they thought about her um and to to really ask what the story we were telling um, and I think I tried to know in my head what story we were telling, which was that she, it was basically the story of a relationship and how you will never win, basically, um, if you're a woman in that scenario. And it's so easy to bring a woman down. But yeah, I think that it's the, it's, it's the way women are described physically, you know, in these sorts of things, in divorce, in um, relationships. Oh, she's terrible. Like, you know, like even comparison, like I've been in rooms where... I've been talking to people and they're talking about someone's new partner. It's like an ex-partner of someone and then the new girlfriend and saying, oh, she's just so boring looking, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, no, no, no. What does that mean? Like, why does it matter? Like, she's another woman. No, but it's so true. I hear that all the time. And it's like whenever you'll be in a friendship group and then we'll be like, oh my God, well, he's moved on. But don't worry, babes. <laughs> she, yeah. she doesn't really, she's not She's, she's not nothing. He's not happy. He's, he's not, not happy. He's not happy. Look at him. He looks so miserable. And you're like, he might be wildly happy and she might be the nicest person in the world. But regardless of that, it just sort of does us no favours, does it, to sit in judgment of other people? Because basically we're always that other person. And none of us behave that well. And it's all a big lie. And everyone likes to pretend that everyone's like, by being nice and good, you're going to get a medal at the end of life. <laughs> like, you, you, it doesn't you work you like just, that. You can be, you have, no, you have to be honest and kind and, and try and say what's on your, like, say who you are, not be some sort of angelic individual that gets you nowhere. Mm. Polishing that halo is not a great activity. Do you know what I mean? Just like... <laughs> No. <laughs> Dust off those angel no. wings. No one's that much of an angel. And <laughs> no, exactly. I, it's all a lie. It's all a lie. But I think as well, <laughs> when I was watching it, I was thinking about the sexism that we still talk about and face in our society. And what kind of everyday sexism do you still come up 
against? And how do you deal with sexism when you come up against it? Oh, well, I had something very recently. I shall tell you this story. So I just moved into uh, my house and um, I was putting a television in place and I'd designed where the TV was going to go. I knew where I wanted my TV. The two men who put the TV in decided to give me a speech about how I was putting my TV that I had paid for in the wrong place. And I said, no, that's where I want it. Yeah, but love, you're not doing it right. Like, how are you going to? And I was like, no, 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 no. That's where I want my TV. So that's what's going to go. And then someone completely unrelated, one of the movers who was coming in, who was also a man, also decided to tell me where I, my TV was in the wrong place. Now it was a, a very long day. <laughs> but I basically just went, I do not need anyone to tell me where I should put my TV in my own house. Naff off, basically. Um, and it's that, I mean, that's just one case of where it's like, I would never presume to tell a man or anybody else that they were wrong about where they were going to put their TV. But basically that, that it's a man's right to express what he says as fact, but it's not a woman's right. When a woman expresses something, she doesn't say it's fact. She said she tries to circumnavigate it in some way of saying th- things in a different way. She knows that when she speaks what she believes to be the truth, it's not going to be accepted as the truth. She has to prove it or be told she's wrong. Um, and that's such a fundamental, deep-rooted, you'd never even know it was there, um, part of our society, which is toxic and also so frustrating um yeah it's just a it was a different it's a different like the world is just different isn't it for though for two different genders and it, it obviously goes hugely beyond that to do with race um and um class and it's just a messy messy thing that we all have to be able to look at um in some way. But yeah, I mean, I think my, my main thing, I mean, I get it all the time, but a lot of things that I've only realised recently, I very often get, cheer up, love. And I'm like, um, no. <laughs> I actually I'm actually don't very need to cheerful. smile for you. I'm actually very cheerfully, yeah. cheerful inside. Thank you very much for yeah. your feedback. And here you go. Here's some cheer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also I'm just like, Imagine if you just, if I went up to a man, that this like happens all the time, but it happens, at, and maybe I really have got really resting bitch face, which is like miserable. And I'm not miserable. I'm a very happy person. I'm just, you know, a bit tired today. Um, but, you know, just at a zebra crossing, just completely uncalled for. Oh, cheer up, love. I'm like, no, what? Like if I said that to a man, cheer up, mate. It, it would, I would be terrified. I would be physically terrified of saying that to anyone. And also, what right do I have to say that to someone? Someone could have had some awful news or something terrible might have happened. Mm. Um, you know, it's just that sort of, I, I, I sort of owe to move through the world and believe that everything that you think and say is, one, interesting, but two, the way the world works would be, I, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I don't mm. think many women can. Well, what you should have done with the TV thing is you should have been like, well, actually, it's going to stay here. I'm going to pass out the popcorn. I'm going to play you a series of shows where I played key feminist icons. And you can get schooled 
in the power of the women. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> My God, no. I did feel really bad for the mover because he, you know, he meant I should presume well, but I was just like, I don't even know what's going on here. This is my house that I own with my TV that I own that I've decided to put in the place where I want it to be. I don't need a man to tell me what to do. It was just a big, it was a big moment. And and I just think he was like, oh, okay, don't put it there then. I was like, sorry, I feel like maybe that wasn't all your fault. But um, thank you for moving my, my furniture in. Bye. <laughs> Possibly went off the deep end. Poor guy. <laughs> but sometimes Poor you guy. need to go off at the defend and I think as well as a very British scandal coming out you're keeping us busy mm. this festive season Claire Foy aren't you after being so long away here I am <laughs> two things I'm back <laughs> guys <laughs> with the electrical life of Lewis Wayne and just like again wow like it was so amazing when I first heard about it because my friend Amy Lou Wood's in it she plays one of the sisters and she was like, tell me about it. And I was like, oh my God, babe, you're in it. She was like, I was like, it's, it's a biopic about like a Victorian cat artist. And I was like, sounds amazing, babe. And she's like, no, babe, it's not. It's way <laughs> Sounds amazing. And I was like, oh my God, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? And then she was telling me about it. And then I saw it and I was like, oh my God. It is such an amazing complex look at mental health struggles. And Lewis, as well as being the celebrated cat artist in the Victorian era, also struggles with his mental health. And you play the fabulous Emily Richardson, the governess who almost gives me like Mary Poppin levels at some point, which I kind of love. <laughs> yeah. She's got Mary Poppins in her somewhere. She's definitely got Mary Poppins in that DNA at some point. And, um, mm. and then you later obviously become married to Louis and you have this incredible life together. And it's a very beautiful look. And mental health. How has your own relationship with mental health changed and how do you look after it? Oh boy. Um, I think it's funny, isn't it? It's become, because I think because of the pandemic and everything, mental health has become sort of so um, regularly used that I feel like I don't really understand what it means anymore. <laughs> Obviously it means about your health mentally. Um, but I think that I think there's a lot more acceptance and understanding that people in different ways view the world in a different way or find life quite hard. Um, I think that's what I think is really good is that on, and I don't feel like this, I was aware of this at all when I was growing up. There was no sort of openness about everybody having issues or struggling mm. with things in a different way or chemical imbalances in people's brains or you know dep the only thing I knew about was depression and depression was seen then as like a mortal affliction and it was like really really serious and and that you would be like hospitalized in my head that's what depression was um and I just think that there's so much more education about it and so much more honesty. Um, and I found that really helpful for me, basically, that there is so many different, you know, like podcasts and things like that and just literature. And um, there's so much more acceptance of the fact that it's OK to be interested about yourself and 
because basically you're the only person you're going to be with for the longest amount of time. Um, and also to have knowledge about the fact that the story you tell you tell yourself in your head sometimes needs rewriting like it really needs to be addressed and and that can be in whatever way that is if someone is suffering from a um you know um a mental illness i hate calling it mental illness um that that you'll always be feeling that way you'll always be suffering with that because there's nobody to help you and there's no place for you to go i do think in this country we really do have to sort out the mental health system because it's out of sync and so kind of old school that there's sort of no you basically have to to be incredibly wealthy to be able to pay for yourself to get help it seems to me but yeah i mean i i I think you know i think louis is a prime example of somebody who functioned in a different way he wasn't what we like to deem as normal although I think very few people are, and um, people couldn't quite hear him because they saw him as having some, having something that was different. Um, and I think that hopefully is what the film kind of discusses, is is look look at him, hear him, like see him. Don't just like mark him as having this mental disorder and therefore write him off, basically. Mm. And one of the scenes I really loved is when uh, your character, Emily, is talking to Louis at the theatre and about the dreams that kind of haunt him and how mm-hmm. they both kind of beautifully open up to each other about the kind of things they're haunted about. And I think it was such a beautiful moment because it really does show to anyone that whatever you're going through, you're never truly alone. There will always be someone who understands or just someone to be a listening ear. How has opening mm-hmm. up helped you at different times and like the power of talking and also listening to people yeah I think my my main thing is I think that I basically was one of those people who was very much um I think it's a lot to do with my upbringing but very much like I don't need help I can sort it out myself it's not that big of a problem there are people in the world with real problems this isn't really a big deal I I'm I need to get over it um I've got nothing to complain about blah blah blah, blah. like that whole cycle which I think keeps a lot of people who are suffering quiet and miserable, basically, because I think that the idea there is some sort of like trauma scale, which is when you've experienced something really bad and then not something not so bad, then you don't really have a right to complain because you, it's not that, like, it's really not that big a deal. Um, I, you know, within reason, I think that, people need to be adults and take care of themselves and move in the world. But I also do think that just patience and understanding, and I think that patience and understanding only comes when you see it in yourself and you see that, you know, there are just different types of sadness, basically. Um, And it doesn't have to be that one person is more sad than the other person. (laughs) Um, And I think that I, so I took me a while, my mid twenties, I sort of had a sort of basically breakdown um and like thought and I remember my sister saying I can't help you I actually can't help you you need to see someone professional and I was like oh my god yeah I do and that was the first time that I sort of went the problem is bigger than um than me being able to figure it out I I can't figure this out I don't know how to help myself basically um and I was lucky enough to be able to to go and start therapy and um, 
and begin a very, very, very long road of figuring that out. Because I think it takes a long time. It's not something that's easy. And I think you're never going to get fixed. Like it takes a long time. But um, for me, I mean, just definitely my early 30s to now, the thing has been opening up to the people, like my friends. I just, it sounds silly, but I, I had never really understood that love and protection was by being honest and being awful, like showing your worst side of yourself and then having someone go, oh yeah, yeah, me too. And you suddenly go, oh my God. Like there's nothing so bad that you can't share it with people and keeping it inside yourself only worsens it and makes it stronger and gives it, that's how shame basically occurs and makes it have this sort of like beast-like quality. You know, I think sometimes giving something light and air and saying it just make gives stops it being some dark thing that's happening inside yourself. Um, and I think just having that honesty with people around you is really amazing. Just like it changed my life, basically. Mm. I think that's so true because I think we spend so much of our like younger years trying to be like, I'm so perfect. Nothing's getting to me. I'm the positive penny around here. It's absolutely fine. Like, and then you see that almost like being perfect, being perfect is kind of the the thing you should be rather than actually that's not going to win you friendships. Friendships are based on the honesty when you dive down deep. And that is where the true magic of a friendship is, right? Mm, yeah. And I think that life gets very real. I think that life is very real for lots of people too young and, um, just the things that pe- some people go through, I find I marvel at how they have survived them, basically. Um, but I think that life starts happening. If you have lived a relatively privileged, you know, life, it's coming for you. Like, it, life is not... This is the thing that I find so extraordinary about what I do for a living, is basically I get to realise that nobody gets to live a completely charmed and and pain-free life. That's mm. not the reality. And whatever happens, it's going to come and get you. If Even if it happens when you're 80, it's coming for you at a certain point. Unless you are literally an angel or some amazing like creature who's been born who's never going to suffer. And then you haven't really got it. That's not really what life is about, really, if that's the case. Um, but yeah, it's you can't avoid it. Um, and I hope, I don't wish for, for people to have to experience awful things in order to be able to be a human being. But it is, I think you're right, like that sort of like in your 20s, you life's moving so fast, you're not really paying attention. And the people who, you know, I was very ill when I was about 18 and I feel like I just sort of got it quite early. Like I got quite early on, I was like, oh, right, okay. Life isn't just for me or about me. Um, and so I think I knew quite early on to sort of, to grasp every moment and not wish it away and, and, um, and like be awake basically. But I, but, but yeah, it's coming for you. (laughs) It sounds so awful, doesn't it? Misery's coming. It's just around the corner. But, um, but but it is. I I think as well, like those moments, like you were talking about when you were 18 and going through what you went through, it's, those things are so difficult to deal with at the time but almost as you take a step away from them, they almost can empower you in some ways too. Have you found that? Yeah. 
I think only by not in like an ego way because I think that can be quite dangerous that you sort of go look I've survived woo I'm so tough um but I think because you know it's that sort of thing about beating an illness or beating which I think is really helpful because it gives you a fighting spirit but also I don't know I feel I don't know where I sit with that because I'm a bit like I sometimes think acceptance and um is can be the most helpful thing I don't know I think it's that Brene Brown thing that your vulnerability basically is the biggest teacher and shows you the most. And I think if you have, you, you know, your own, your own health is something that we always take for granted until it's gone. And um, I think knowing, you know, just, yeah, it's, it's a really vulnerable thing, but it can also mean, you know, like if you look at people who achieve extraordinary things, in you know not in spite of having suffered a trauma or i don't know like you know um losing a limb or having a you know all those things that happen you know they can achieve extraordinary things because of that not in spite of it they've learned so much and taught them so much about what it means to be alive We, we were talking about this break, but before you break while you were working the whole way through and also dealing with a pandemic, so she wasn't really on the break, guys. It wasn't like a Kit Kat break. It wasn't, guys. But like, <laughs> it wasn't at all. <laughs> I was actually working. Yeah, actually working V hard. But when you actually go from, say, like this whole world where, you know, you've won a Golden Globe, you've won an Emmy, you've won a SAG Award, you've won this, the incredible See Her Award at the Critics' Choice Awards, like you you're winning all these awards and then it's very public facing and you take a step back to then work on your work and do the work and take some time out as well. In that pocket of time, when you think back to success and what success means, what did you learn about what success means truly to you? Oh God, I don't really, I mean, I think it makes me feel uncomfortable (laughs) is what I've learned. Um, not that the going to the parties and lovely people being really nice to you is amazing and, you know, is wonderful for people to enjoy things that you've done. But I felt uncomfortable with it because I because I basically fundamentally didn't think I deserved it. So that's no fun, is it? <laughs> that's not <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> basically you just feel like it's even more hollow I suppose I wish I had been able to enjoy it more but I don't think in all honesty I don't think I ever would have done I think I just don't know whether that's necessarily in my character I'm not really a I enjoyed being with people and parties (laughs) and (laughs) celebrating things with people but I am a much more I find it much easier and more comfortable to celebrate other people than be celebrated um and I would much rather, like, I'd much rather give a Christmas present than get one. Um, but I, I don't know. I think basically it's worthless if you don't, you know, I think you can succeed at so many things. You could succeed at finding a COVID vaccine. You can succeed in climbing Mount Everest. You can succeed in, you know, getting a GCSE. But success in the sense of like in the way that I've had it which is because people say that something you have done has been worthwhile is very difficult unless you think you it's been worthwhile 
then it's not really success. It's just a very confusing sequence of award shows <laughs> um, where, where, where you can't really feel like you're there. And also that it's transient. Like it's not going to, especially in my industry, I mean, it's, you know, it's over before it's begun. Like it's, it's never going to, you can't try and achieve, like if you tried to stay on that level of success for any period of time, it would turn you into a very strange person. Mm. and and eat away at you like it would be exhausting um and so basically i all i've and i already thought this anyway so it's not like it's a new epiphany but i basically go job to job and the only way i can keep in the game basically is to just feel like i have got what i need to out of it and if that then for means i do something and i don't feel like i have quite got it or I didn't quite engage with it emotionally in the way that I wanted to that for me is where I go oh I wish I'd that had happened or that you know that to me is a bit of a failure but the outside world can still think it's okay but for me it's not and so it that's my only gauge really I can't Mm. really go on the outside perspective of what success or failure is because I could do something that I think is great and everyone thinks is awful, but I still can't, I can't turn that around and believe that I think it's awful. Because if my heart was in it and I loved it, then I still need to hold on to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, success starts internally, right? That's, yeah. That's the key thing. Like, and also that contentment with what is going on in life. Like, you can always be doing these high-end, like, high energy things like you know winning an award you could be like or like filming something really incredible but actually the true success is when you can sit back and actually look at yourself and go do you know what I'm proud of myself for that and that's great yeah I think that that I read something once about Matt Damon winning an Oscar or something and I literally this might be I'm making this up so don't quote me on this but that he said he got the Oscar was it Matt Damon and he got the Oscar home and he just sort of sat and looked at it and was like I feel awful um I think, yeah, that's the thing is that it doesn't, I think we want to as human beings see other people and think that they're getting it. They do better than us. They know how to do it. They've got more money. They've got more success. They've got more cars or TVs or children or husbands or wives or holidays or anything. And you want to look at them and go, they're untouchable because it makes it easier for you to beat yourself up about how you find life difficult but basically, everybody, regardless of what is going on the outside, is the same on the inside. So it that looking outside for something is just going to bring it inside. You like you can't run away from it, mm. unfortunately, is what I've learned. Oh, my God, 100%. Also, I just have to ask this because, like, I remember when I went on a trip to LA with my friend Dennis, and we were mm. so obsessed with the crown at that point that we were going around, like, basically trying to, like, do your accent. And we were like, oh, do shut up, Dennis. And, like, stuff like this. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get people coming up to you and treating you like the queen? (laughs) No. I do get... People are really, really nice to me. I'm very, very lucky. Um, No, not at all. Um, But I think that weirdly there is a and Stephen Dolger used to do this on set and Matt always talks about this and Stephen you say the queen's coming the queen's coming 
And Matt would be like, you know, she's not actually the queen, but there is something that happens when it's that sort of, I don't know, like I don't, I mean, people have asked me to do rude things, but I don't, do you know what I mean? I don't think anyone would be, there would always be from a sort of position of like, I'm not a 37 year old woman. I'm actually 82. Like basically, <laughs> that's how people see me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not really young because I'm the queen in that program. I say people, yeah, see me in that way, which is fine. <laughs> also, if you're secretly like 82, you should tell me those secrets, Claire. I feel 82. Um, <laughs> that's how old I feel today. Um, no, God, no, it's coming though. <laughs> if I make it that far, I touch wood. If I make it that far. Claire, I can't believe it, but we've already come towards the end of the episode. <laughs> you literally listen to you talk all the time, and but we always end on one question. Obviously, like this is called Rain, and you played mm-hmm. a couple of queens, so I'm expecting like a stunning response to this. Oh God, question. don't. <laughs> okay. In the rain of your life, what is the one <gasps> rule you will always live by? Ooh. Wow. It probably would have been something very different a while ago. But I think now it would probably be don't do things that harm you to make others happy. Don't, you know, ignore your own feeling about something in order to please someone else. Um, And that would probably get me out of a few things, a few situations where um yeah that and also be kind to people it's no point being mean doesn't get you anywhere <laughs> and you're you so anywhere. right about that rule Just, because yeah. the amount of stuff that i do in my life doesn't get you anywhere. please other people and you like get to the end of it and you're like ah, why have i agreed to do all these things <laughs> yeah but just that thing of like you know when someone asks you to do something and you go i know fundamentally this is bad for me like i know actually this is probably going to hurt me quite a lot but I would rather you be okay than I be okay. So I'm going to do it so that you feel okay. And then at the end, I will feel awful, but at least you're all right. Like that's yeah. a good way to live your life, is it really? No, that's not. And like going into the new year, I'm going to make that my new year's resolution. <laughs> <gasps> it's hard. It's a really hard one. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining me it's been like a pure joy are, are you are you ending this on a higher ebb definitely higher than i entered definitely higher <laughs> well done i think i've gone from a three and a half to a seven. Oh god that's quite big big jump that's a big jump that's a big jump <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for another incredible episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this chat. And if you have, let me know. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe or follow. And ultimately, please share this conversation with someone you think needs to hear it. It might just open up the conversations you never knew you needed. Mm-hmm.